We are back again live in studio at Easy Street Restaurant, Bar, and Performance Hall in Center, Alabama, doing another fantastic episode. It seems like we just did this. I, I It's so much fun that I could just do it over and over and over, and it feels like we're doing that today. My name is Scott Wright, and I am a mediocre journalist. My name is Kelly Turner. I'm not a doctor. And I'm Katie Givens, not a lawyer. And so today, uh, Kelly is going to tell us a story about a crime that took place in the Huntsville area in 1998. It's a a pretty serious, gruesome, awful, it may be the most gruesome thing that we've covered. So uh, Yeah, disclaimer on this one. This one's rough. Yeah, put the kids to bed. Uh, And so it does take place in 1998. And as we do sometimes here, I set the table with a, a little bit of a review of the things that were going on in the world in 1998. And so here we go. Uh, in January of 1998, a an online news publication broke the story that President Bill Clinton had an alleged affair with a uh, with an intern named Monica Lewinsky, which would eventually lead to him being impeached in the House of Representatives. Uh, on March the first of 1998, Titanic became the first film to ever gross one billion dollars at the box office. I remember going and seeing that movie, and it won the Best Picture later that month at the Oscars. Why the- couldn't they both fit? on the floating I always wondered about piece that. of wood yeah, slide over Rose and give him some room <laughs> good grief uh, on listen here's the funny one uh, especially since we were talking about this earlier today Facebook has been out all day long there's been this this massive worldwide outage Facebook is out and Facebook I think it just came and back Instagram. on Instagram and Instagram what so happened? there was some sort of uh, DNS problem with the with the internet protocols I'm not sure exactly but uh, 23 years ago In May, the Galaxy 4 communications satellite up in orbit failed, and that left 80 to 90% of the world's, wait for it, pagers without service. What? Yeah. We didn't have cell phones yet, or at least not good ones in 1998. Most everybody had pagers then, and they all went, shh. Never had a pager. Yeah, me either. I never had a pager. I was never important enough to need a pager, and I'm still not. Yeah, yeah, I mean, um, you don't even remember your cell phone from work. <laughs> I did leave my cell phone at work today. That is a true Again. story. Again. Again. Uh, in June of 1998, uh, just so that uh, Katie and I have something in common once more, the Cedar Bluff High School class of 1988 held its 10 year reunion at the now defunct warehouse restaurant in Gadsden, which, if I'm not mistaken, was owned at the time by Jeff Cook of the country music supergroup Alabama. Around a dozen of the 33 graduates of that class attended, myself included. And what was it fun? Did you have a good time? I think so. <laughs> I don't know. I guess. If I don't remember, surely I had a good time, right? Surely. This was your 10-year high school reunion. That was reunion. my 10-year class reunion in May, I'm um, sorry, June of 1998. My 10-year high school reunion is next year. Uh-huh. I was, <laughs> figured she was going to bring that up, so why not? Just step off onto that landmine. Uh, in September of 98, Google was founded in Menlo Park, California by oh, wow. Stanford University PhD candidates Larry Page and Sergey Brin. So the first ever time Google was officially a thing was 23 years ago. Uh, on November the 21st, my apologies to Kelly, uh, Alabama and Auburn played the final Iron Bowl in Birmingham's Legion Field. The Crimson Tide won the game 31-17. to 17. Roll Tide. I, I was going to say, I can only imagine how that turned out. <laughs> <laughs> and lastly, in December of 98, the U.S. Ha- House of Representatives did finally go ahead with those articles of impeachment against Bill Clinton. Uh, they sent them to the Senate, but they, they did not vote to impeach him. 
uh, well, he was impeached. He just wasn't convicted. I, uh, I remember seeing all of that on television. Yes, that was and the blue big dress. news back in the day. The blue dress. Uh, I wasn't going to mention the blue dress, but <laughs> there you got it. We told everybody to put the kids to bed, so there's, <laughs> there's the real reason why. And uh, we will lean back from our microphones and let you take the reins. Okay. All right. So we're going to travel today to Huntsville, Alabama in a middle-class neighborhood there. Uh, there's a family who has uh, several children, uh, the oldest of those children being Jeffrey Brendan Franklin. He was born in 1980 in Huntsville, Alabama, to Cynthia and Gerald Franklin. As I said before, he is the oldest of all the Franklin children. The other siblings are Stacy, Sarah, Timothy, and Christopher. The Franklin family lived in a middle-class neighborhood. By all accounts, they were a close-knit family. They lived happily, everyone thought, up until the night of March 10, 1998, when 17-year-old Jeffrey Franklin attacked his family in their home on 13005 Camelot Drive. Jeffrey was armed with a hatchet a two-pound sledgehammer, a rat tail file, and a butcher's knife. He attacked his mother, his father, and all of the younger siblings who were in the home that night. There was one sibling who was not in the home that night, but he attacked 14-year-old Sarah, 8-year-old Timothy, and 6-year-old Christopher. So Stacy at the time, and I want to say Stacy was 11. She was not in the home on this particular night. Retired Huntsville Police Department investigator Mac McClutchen handled the Jeffrey Franklin investigation, and he was among the first to the crime scene. Quote, there was just a massive amount of destruction and abuse to the family. We had another officer there. We were trying to secure the scene as well as medical attention, paramedics for the kids because the siblings were still alive. McCletchen said based on the crime scene that Franklin killed his mother, Cynthia, first by stabbing her with a rat tail file. He then attacked his sister, the 14-year-old Sarah, with a hatchet, slashing at her throat and clubbing her. His father, Gerald Franklin, was attacked with a sledgehammer as he entered the home. Franklin's two younger brothers, Timothy and Christopher, ages nine and six, were attacked They both had wounds to their throat and head injuries, apparently from the hatchet. There was a neighbor girl who was going to come over for a visit. She comes onto the scene. She sees Jeffrey Franklin coming out of the back door with blood on him. And she ran back home and called the police. So she sees Jeffrey coming out of the home. He is covered in blood. He's looking very wild. 
he's all over the place. His behavior is, it's very wild. It's very aggressive. You showed us a picture a minute ago. He didn't look like, he looked like something was troubling him. Yes. To say I, I mean, uh, on his face, he, he looked like a wild animal. Yeah, that's why I was, yeah. He really did. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> so, she spots this. She goes back, and I, I did not, from my articles that I was looking at, I, I had several articles from AL.com. Um, I had another article from, I want to make sure that I get this right, APnews.com. Uh-huh. Um, they did not have her name. So I don't know who the neighbor girl was who was able to call the police and get them there. Um, so Franklin was spotted later that night at a place called Ditto Landing. He led the police on a brief chase before crashing in a family's yard in South Huntsville. So he opted into a car mm-hmm, and led them and on a left chase. the scene. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, McCluchin said that Franklin was shirtless. He had an upside down cross marked kind of carved onto his torso um, when he was brought in for his first interview with the police. Like a self-inflicted. Mm-hmm. Gotcha. Carving. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, they have this image on the internet. We yes. can put that out. It's, the, it's not as disturbing no, as you would think. No, because oh. when I say carved, that, that sounds, yeah. it, it's it's not... Right. I think that was very accurate, Katie. It's not as disturbing as, as it sounds. More scratched than He's carved. kind of scratched it. Yeah, okay. that's probably the better word to use. The investigator says that Franklin was up and down in the interview. He didn't volunteer a whole lot of information. At one point, they've got uh, the family, a, a diagram of the family's home in front of him. And they they are wanting him to point out in which room he last saw his family members. He looks at the house, he takes the pencil, and he just draws a circle around the home. And then he just keeps drawing a circle around and around and around and around the home. And then he puts the pencil down, and then he starts yelling at the investigator. He's standing up, he's shouting. That pretty much ended the interview at that point. Um. As part of the investigation, McClutchin says that he learned uh, that Franklin had likely been up for three days before the killings. He'd also been part of a group of teens who were abusing Ritalin, the drug Ritalin at the time. Uh, Franklin had been prescribed Ritalin to help control um, his ADHD, but he had begun begun abusing the drug. Um, he had figured out his mother um, found out he had been abusing them. So she kept them in a lock box, but Franklin had figured out how to take the hinge pins off of the lock box, uh, remove the pills and then replace them with saccharin tablets, which are sugar pills without his mother knowing it. Okay. So he's been snorting Ritalin for However long, many, many days, he's not slept in three days at the time that the crime occurs. Now, that's not the only thing that Franklin had been involved with. He had been involved in some occult activity. Um, Do you guys remember the satanic panic when um, they were saying, you know, 
kids who listen to mm-hmm. uh, ACDC. I remember ACDC right. was a big band, you know, and and they're devil worshiping, and there's all these sacrifices that are being made to Satan, and there never was really any evidence to prove that this. Yeah, the satanic panic was a hoax. Like yes, or, or, there was no it validity. Was never, it wasn't a real thing. Yeah. yeah, right. It was a panic. It, it was. Yeah. Um, it, and um, however, with with Jeffrey Franklin's case. Jeffrey had a satanic Bible. He was listening to uh, satanic music. Uh, These bands identify themselves as Satan worshipers and they play music to that effect. Right. And and I'm guessing they just do it because it helps them sell records in most cases, but I I really can't say their motivation. Same here. Um, I have heard some snippets of the music and it is uh, very chaotic, very loud, a lot of drums, a lot of heavy guitar, a lot of yelling and screaming. Um, it is very, I think chaotic is probably the best. That is a good word. And that's my impression of this music. Someone else could listen to it and not call it chaotic. I, I don't know, but I'm just, I've hearing snippets of it. It's, it's very loud and it's very aggressive and it's, you know, it's very, um, in your face, you know, and, and it's the lyrics are very, you know, Satan worshiping and anyway, so he's, he's reading the satanic Bible. He's writing all of these writings. They find copies of a lot of his writings in his room. And it's a lot of, you know, quotes from the Satanic Bible and a lot of planning this crime. A lot of writings of my parents are going to die, my siblings, you know. I could quote from some of his writings. They're very disturbing. So it's not just this crime doesn't occur because of a three-day riddle and binge no, it did, that did not help. This is months in the making. But it is. It's months okay. in the making. Right. Um, he is, uh, and I'll tell you this, they did a blood test on him 12 days after his arrest, and it still showed 10 times the amount of a normal dose of Ritalin in his system. So he was out of his mind. Mm-hmm. It's a lot of meth. A lot. Okay. A lot. So he's, um, now his defense attorney, and, and I know Katie will, talk about this um, some when she gets to the trial, but he says that this is the major factor of the crime, the Ritalin. Um, I think it was a perfect storm of everything. You've got this six, 17-year-old who's very um, into this Satan worship, this very aggressive, chaotic music. He's using Ritalin, dangerous amounts of Ritalin. He's not sleeping He's saturated into these writings, this all of this. And I think it was the perfect storm that led to this crime. His, if we're going to call it a decision, I mean, it sounds like there was some mm-hmm. forethought. Mm-hmm. Yes, his writings talk about murdering his family. Right. Mm-hmm. Very detailed. Yes, very detailed writings. He talks about raping his sister. He taught, you know, in his writings. And it was, I remember reading a part that said that he specifically wanted to kill his father with the sledgehammer. Yes. Very specific. That was what he used to kill his father. Wanted to kill his mother first. Yes. And he did with the rat tail 
file. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He killed her first. Um, so the way that um, Franklin's writings point to a darker side. So this is what this article from AP says. Uh, he just felt like he was doing what Satan, who at that particular time, based on his writings, was his God. He was doing what Satan wanted him to do. So this is what he felt that he had to do because Satan was telling him to do this. But you can see how someone who is using this amount of a drug could be very, like you said, out of his mind. Easily persuaded. Easily persuaded. If he's already, he's if he's already do this. down this path and he's got this Bible and he, he listens to this kind of music and then he, he overdoses on amphetamine, like, like Katie said, mm-hmm. he's already leaning in that direction and that was the, the little shove. Mm-hmm. maybe in this case that, that we talked yes. about previously. Now, his defense attorney says he doesn't think he was actually devil worshiping. He says uh, his family's very, they're very strict Catholic family. And he thinks that this was a rebellion in an effort to make his parents mad. The defense attorney doesn't think there was anything other than that. However, when you look at the writing, it is a very anti-God, a lot of descriptions and drawings of sexual violence. Um, He's very, very much immersed into this belief system and into this particular, I guess you would call it a religion. Yeah. uh, Into Satanism. Um, So we fast forward to, they get him into custody. Things progress. Um, He is finally sober from all of the, the medication, all of the, everything that he was doing. And he converts to Christianity sometime after his arrest. Seems like we've heard that story before. We have. We heard that story in episode one. Yes, we did. Mm-hmm. Um, so at this point in time, the defense attorney says Franklin was remorseful. And with the drugs out of his system, he was stunned by what happened. So they're saying he doesn't remember at the time what he was doing. He was stunned by the fact that he acted. Do out. I smell a temporary insanity plea? Um, well, well, well yeah, I don't want to jump ahead. Sorry. <laughs> yep. I'll get to there. Um, Franklin was under a psychologist's care before the killings. Um, but there was nothing that I could really find that what they said was he was a troubled teenager. He had some deep rooted psychological issues. Some of those problems were probably hereditary. Now all of this, they also say that he was slipped, he slipped through the cracks as far as being able to get the proper help. Um, And a lot of people in his life missed some significant warning signs about his conditions. Now this is coming from his defense attorney, which that's what you do as a defense attorney. You you defend yeah. your client, but I can't find anything from the psychologist he was seeing or any kind of therapist or any doctor or anything like that. I do know that uh, I read and saw in an interview with him that the family did try to sue the drug company and try to sue because of the Ritalin. Mm-hmm. Um, however, in the interview with Franklin several years later, he does admit to also using acid. So you throw in 
everything that I've told you, all of this Ritalin, and then acid on top of that. Yeah, just a just a dumb kid who didn't realize all of the crazy things he was doing and, to himself. And when you see pictures of him from that night, what I just described to you makes perfect sense. I mean, you go, yes, that is the face of someone who's been up for three days using Ritalin, dropping acid, and worshiping Satan. Well, and he was on multiple medications. Like, he was on Ritalin, but he was also mm-hmm. prescribed Prozac because he also was diagnosed with depression. Mm-hmm. He was also on Klonopin, which I think they give you to help you sleep with the Ritalin. Mm-hmm. It's a very strong, yes. very, very strong. So he had, you know, mm-hmm. his parents knew he had issues and they were getting him help. And you know, they were doing what they could for their son. Mm-hmm. One is like you said, I think uh, he fell through the cracks. Somehow somebody who was just prescribing this maybe didn't know, maybe it's two different doctors and no, there's some it was, sort of, it was all okay. a psych. I mean, okay. like they, this was a prescription cocktail that they, okay. like it was like, okay. however, you know, he was abusing the Ritalin. Yeah. Right. Like they the, don't have, they weren't affecting each other. Okay. It was his no, mis- it was use of the drug. He's using a lot of Ritalin mm-hmm. and then using acid as well. Okay. Which is a mind altering substance. I mean, it is and that is the he purpose is of it. Saturating himself with the satanic Bible readings, the writings, and the satanic music. Now, I don't want to you know, I have mixed emotions when it comes to can music or things that you listen to or watch, can it can it sway you a certain way? But I I may have some people who disagree with me, but I say, yes, it can. Um, if you have an impressionable mind, if you have the right, like I said, the perfect storm, the perfect scenario, and especially when you're dealing with children and adolescents. Still a kid, yeah, still a kid. They are still impressionable. Right. And it is, it absolutely can have an effect on them. Now, I'm not going to just blame that. I mean, some kids can be exposed to some things and it does not make them want to murder their entire yeah, family. They are headstrong enough to deal with it in a mm-hmm. in a but in an this, adult way. And- if you if you look up the YouTube interview with him, you can hear some of the the snippets from the song. And um, I can tell you, I don't know that I could listen to something like that every day and be without sleep for three days and be dropping acid and using Ritalin. And something bad not happen. Yeah, and and maybe the line between reality and fantasy starts to blur a little bit, and mm-hmm. and you've had these thoughts in the back of your head that maybe you just wrote down in a way to get them out of your system when you were more sober than he was that night. The the specific ways he's gonna commit this crime, and then all of a sudden it just I don't know. You, you've knows? got he's spiraling, and right. the writings show it. The right. writings show the spiral and show that I mean when you read the 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 writings of Jeffrey Franklin, you realize that you're dealing with um, a very disturbed individual and someone who needs attention immediately, mm-hmm. immediately. Um, Katie, I'll let you take over here and talk about well, what little of a trial that there was. Yeah, so he's um, he's arrested, of course. He's arraigned in Madison County District Court. His original charges are capital murder and attempted murder. Because I don't know if we fully went into the fact that his three siblings did not die. We did not. So that was great. Um, the mother and the father were dead on the scene. The siblings uh, were transported into the hospital. They uh, 
they all survived and they live with an aunt in New York. Are they? They're uh, they're older now. I mean, but are they are they normal? Well, did, they, did have, they recover completely from their injuries. I they guess have what life altering injuries. Okay. Yes, I mean you know. <clears throat> I, mean, I know we're that at least a the sister, a sledgehammer, all these things were used. Yeah, and these are young children, right? And there's not the aunt has not told these stories, and the aunt's not putting the kids out there. She says that they're their stories to tell, and if they want to be out in the public with it, they can, but so there's not really much you can find on them. And I just got to give kudos. This Anna is an incredible person. She's, she would she's have to be taken in these children and she has protected them. Mm-hmm. And, um, so kudos, like kudos to her. What a, what a wonderful woman. Yes. So Jeffrey originally pleads not guilty to the charges. And so this is in this, this takes place over a couple of year period. And eventually, to avoid trial in 2001, he ends up pleading guilty to a lesser charge of two murder charges and three counts of attempted murder. And he is quoted saying, I hope and pray that one day my family can forgive me for the things I have done. And I know that may take a long time. I know that God has already forgiven me. So we're talking about his conversion there. Yes. He also, in his statement, warned others about the dangers of abusing Ritalin. Um, in the statement, that's, that's when he basically blames his doctor. He says he tells his doctor that he abused Ritalin. He was abusing his Ritalin prescription. And to his counts, he just says his doctor keeps prescribing more Ritalin, which I cannot fathom is the truth. Because it was not brought up in trial. His defense, though, they do talk about that they were going to hang their defense on a psychiatrist determination that he was insane when he attacked the family. Okay. That was, that's where they were headed with that, but they decided that his best deal and the best way he was getting out was to just take that plea deal because it was the best outcome because the capital murder charges could have got him, you know, the death penalty or life without the possibility of parole. Well, and you've got a, you've got a defense attorney who, by all accounts that I can see is is doing his job. I mean, Mm -hmm. he's really trying to defend his client, but you are in Alabama. You are in Mm, the buckle of the Bible belt. And Mm -hmm. you're talking about someone who has been worshiping Satan openly. Students from his school, when they interviewed him said, yes, he's, he's a Satan worshiper. I mean, he was known for that. Um, And he probably just begins to be afraid of a Bible belt jury not buying the insanity plea exactly. because especially if it's explained to them or if they know, and we've talked about this before on the show, if you get convicted or, or if it's temporary insanity and you don't get the chair for that or the death chamber, then you're going to go to a mental health facility. And when you're deemed cured, well, if you're, you're on the street again. Yeah. If, mm-hmm. if you, yeah, in Alabama. If, mm-hmm. Yeah. With the insanity plea, if, if, if they find you insane, that is where you go is like, there's no other. And maybe for the rest of his life or maybe in five years, he's, he's out again. It just, it's up to doctors at that point to decide. Right. I mean, his defense attorney is even quoted by saying that his behavior is deranged. Mm -hmm. I mean, he's like, there's no two points about that. And you can see that in the, in the video, they have a video of when they were carrying him out in handcuffs and shirtless and, and you can see the the behavior. You can see how he's, like I said, it's like a wild animal. He laughs, like maniacally laughs. He spits. He's got it. He's like licking his tongue out like a like a snake, kind of. Um, really buying into the whole satanic thing. I mean, it's it's uh, 
Yeah. It's it's disturbing to watch, especially when you realize what he's just done. Right. And you see the injuries on these children, and it is horrifying. It's absolutely horrifying. Mm-hmm. He is sentenced to three life sentences to be served consecutively. So a life sentence for each of the murder charge and then one life sentence for the counts of attempted murder. So he's going to serve those consecutively. And if some of you remember in Alabama, when you get a life sentence, it is 15 years before you're offered parole. So that was in 2001. He should be up for parole in 2016. Mm -hmm. In 2013, he decides he's going to write the parole board a letter and and say he wants to move his parole hearing up because he wants to count the time served between when he was first arrested in 98 to his trial in 2001. Or just sentencing. So that gets him the three years and he's over the 15 year threshold and he can apply for parole early. Right. And he's telling him, you know, he, you know, he willingly pled guilty. He's not claiming that he would, his guilty plea was coerced, uh, but he had mitigating circumstances related to his drug abuse. Uh, he recounts facing discipline in prison for slicing his wrists open. Uh, he says he, he has dove headfirst into concrete. He states that he's not a bad man. He, didn't mean to do the things he did. And he just says that he's just having a really hard time. I imagine most people in prison are having a yeah, really hard time. Yeah. They, he doesn't get anywhere with this wanting to move his parole hearing up. But in September of 2016, he does get this parole hearing and he is denied parole. Yes. He's th- he was 36. Okay. And before this parole hearing in September of 2016, he does an interview, um, and you can find that on YouTube, and I watched that. So let me give you a little bit of insight to that interview. First of all, go check it out if you- I'm going to. I'm just, writing it down right search now. search his name, and yeah. it will pop up. Um, he states that in middle school, he started having problems with his grades. Um, he was a he was a really good student, and and by most accounts, from listening to his teachers, they say he was a good student. But he says in middle school he started having problems with his grades. Um, he had issues related to the occult and mental health issues when he got into high school. The guy in the interview asked him, you know, why why did you use the weapons that you chose? And he said, I guess because I didn't have a gun, but I'm not really sure why. But if you go back to his writings, he's planned out specifically what he's going to use. Mm -hmm. Um, He does say that he had been up for three days in his room, snorting Ritalin, that he had tried to resist these urges and he tried to see God on the street. But after about a month, he could not resist anymore. And so he was doing what he felt that Satan wanted him to do. Now, throughout the interview, he's talking with the, with the gentleman who's asking him questions. He just seems, he comes across to me as nervous. And I don't know if it's because it's on camera or if he's mm-hmm. just nervous talking about this situation or, or the crime. Or He just seems like a nervous, a nervous guy answering the questions that that wild behavior is not present anymore it's it's a very different jeffrey franklin that you see in this interview than, than what you would see if you see the arrest footage um but he does say that he was involved in the satanic worship in high school he talks about the music and the readings and the diary drawings and 
He does say that he feels that he was, quote, forced into this crime. He says he was misguided and he has changed. He's a different man. And this is when he talks about his conversion to Christianity. And um, Jeffrey is even a preacher, actually, in the jail. He will do Bible readings and um, they, you know, he talks about um, identifying as a Christian now. He doesn't um, identify as specifically a Catholic or a, or a Baptist or Methodist or anything like that. He just identifies as a Christian. He did get his GED in prison and he does tutor other inmates. And I, I hate to sound cynical about that. It just seems like it's something that we hear over and over. And maybe you just don't have anything else to do when you're going to spend the rest of your life in prison, except to pick up a Bible and read it. And maybe it grabs you and you, mm-hmm. you know, start to believe the teachings and the passages and the, and, but it just seems like a lot of folks all of a sudden. Well, when he was first in jail or the preacher, a preacher came to the county jail and he said at that moment, he didn't feel a push from God, uh, but he resisted and he ended up cussing out the preacher, you know, yelling and screaming at him. And then he got thrown in isolation for this. And this was going on throughout the trial. But if he says he felt, he eventually felt God's presence and felt a peace. And that's when he was baptized in the jail. And so then, Okay. Fast forward to getting the GED and tutoring others and you, uh, doing a Bible study and witnessing to other people. And they said to the, the interview, the, the man conducting the interview said, uh, walk us through a day in your life in jail. And he says, well, I get up, I, I do some walking, I read my Bible, I listen to my tapes. He said, I, I go to church two to three times a week in the jail. He tutors other inmates. They ask him, you know, what do you miss most about being out of jail, being free. And he says he misses um, walking around and seeing actual scenery, Mm. being outside. And he does say that he misses his family. However, this was after the gentleman conducting the interview asked that. Do you miss your family? Hey, don't you miss your family? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And so he did mention that. Um, He talks about how he is very sorry if he could take it back one million times over, he would. Well, let me ask this question, and I don't know if Katie mentioned it, and I just didn't hear it. So he was tried. He was seventeen when the murders happened, but he was tried as an adult. I assume is that is, oh, was that yeah. it? Okay. Oh, it was a very brutal crime. Yes. Yeah. Okay. All right. But I mean, I don't think he was, there was any any push ever to have him tried as a. Okay. As Obviously a, not, because we're talking about we know all the details of this crime, and if he'd been tried as a juvenile, then we wouldn't know any of this. Yeah, that was no. Um, okay. That was no contest on okay. this. Right. And, I mean, he has now spent more time in prison than he ever spent out mm-hmm. of prison. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, he is an inmate in Montgomery in the Alabama Department of Corrections. Um, after this parole hearing in 2016 when he was denied, there's not a whole lot that you can find about him after 2016. The only other thing that I found, but this happened in 2016 as well, is he had a few watercolor paintings that a website was actually selling. Oh, good grief. Yeah, one of those. I'm not sure if these people were affiliated with Jeffrey or not, or if they just had their hands on it and were trying to sell because it's a, you know. Yeah. It made the news when he was up for parole. Well, you know, when we did the, uh, when we did the Eric Rudolph case, there was the discussion that we had about the book that he wrote while he was in prison mm-hmm. that he tried to, he was going to try to sell. And when word got out about that, that 
the kibosh got put on that pretty quickly, I think. People so. get enraged yeah. when they think about a murderer in prison making money because they're a murderer. Right. Mm-hmm. That is that is not, that's highly frowned upon. Highly. Yes. So that is about the only thing that you can find on him. And that is also in 2016. After that, you don't find a whole lot about Jeffrey Franklin. So he is still in Montgomery in the Alabama Department of Corrections to this day. And I'm guessing, will he get another parole hearing? Yeah, in 15 more years. Is that it? Well, 15, 15, 15 more 15 years? years from the 16th, yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. So, yeah. so yeah, he's, and he's serving these three consecutive sentences. So I guess from, from the readings I read, so most people don't think he'd get a serious look at parole for 45 years, like 15 mm-hmm. okay. for each. I'd like that first, that first hearing for each, um, but no one thinks he'll seriously ever get an actual. Yeah, I mean look that would make him. Out. That would make him what sixty two, sixty three years old. Yeah, they just don't see a parole board granting, right? And honestly, I don't know how you. I mean, it, it, not to get into another rabbit hole here, but if you go into jail and into prison when you're seventeen and eighteen years old, and you don't come out until you're in your sixties, what what do you do? How do you how would he even know to live he wouldn't, on I mean, his own? If you've ever seen the Shawshank Redemption, you know that when Red got out after almost his entire life behind bars, he was institutionalized and he didn't, the, the community looked strange to him. The cars were different. The technology was different. He, he wanted to go back to jail and I can only imagine, I mean, I hope I never find out, but I can only imagine that after 50 years in jail, you just, you're better off just being fed your three meals a day and having your, sheets washed and your four mm-hmm. books on the shelf and mm-hmm. just live your life that way. Yeah. And um, it, it, by all accounts, and there's not a whole lot out there about the siblings. Um, I know that he is not in contact with them. At one point in time, he was in contact with his sister, Stacy, but at the, in the 2016, not the 2016, but it was before then mm-hmm. in that interview, he says he did speak to her, but, it had been over a year since he had talked with her and that was before 2016. So I don't, I can't really find a whole lot of information. There was one article that said that he does talk to them, that there may be some sort of relationship starting there, but that was only in just a passing statement in one article. And I couldn't, I couldn't find it in any other article and I couldn't verify it. So um, his aunt at the time, that he did the YouTube, the interview that I found on YouTube. It's not a YouTube interview, but it's just a previous interview that's on YouTube. Mm-hmm. Um, and the aunt had never talked with him because to her, he he's asking for her forgiveness and that he's giving his gratitude to her for looking after his siblings. And he says that he wishes that, that she would write him. While he was in in jail, but but he's never she's never spoken with him. She's never sent him probably anything. a lot of anger there because we're dealing with either her sister or her brother was one of the victims of mm-hmm. his. And crime. I'm not sure which one. And this is a good thing. This is a good thing that I couldn't find a whole lot of this because um, these these this aunt and these siblings obviously wanted to move on with their life. They moved up moved to New York and um, wanted to have you know a brand new start and to have a fulfilling life and. I truly, truly hope that that is what they're all yeah. doing. Yes, yeah. this time. And you have to think, and I'm curious, uh, Katie, I mean, think about it. He was 17 when he committed these these crimes, and the children were, what, 14, 11, 8, 6, somewhere in that area. The children were all older than I was in 98, so they're all older than me. 
if he had been acting like this for two years and their young children relatively when this crime happens, they probably don't have a, a, a specific memory of him acting any other way than the way he did. No, no. there's a possibility the that the they 13, probably were distant from him for yeah. the last two years of, of, yeah. of their normal there, There's a chance that the 13, 14 year old, one of the girls may have known him differently. A different brother, mm-hmm. a but different the, older brother. Right. And, and maybe possibly the 11 year old, but the, as little kids, because they would have been little together. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. But the six year old and the, and the eight or nine year old probably, mm, probably don't have no any memory of him acting any other way than the way he did that was the spiral that led to this crime. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. So, that, so much fear and so much, and I just, it's, it's heartbreaking yeah. to see this happen and to, to read about this. So I really hope that these siblings are living life to their fullest and getting Same. everything. Yeah. As that bad as, as bad as this story is, we've heard worse stories. So at least there is a little bit of a silver lining to this cloud that the children three victims it. survived mm-hmm. and they are trying to live a normal life. And Katie, what'd you say? They're all, they'd all be a little bit older than you. Mm-hmm. So yeah, well, the youngest would be just a little bit older and then they go from there. So. Late twenties to early thirties at mm-hmm. this point in their lives. Yes. So yes. So good, good luck to them. That is good that we do have that. I see that as a, as a, like you said, as a silver lining, a happy ending yeah. that we can give everyone. Unfortunately for his parents, um, they were killed, but I'm sure you ask any kind of parents and they would trade themselves and have the children be okay in the end. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Um, you know, um, so I wish we could say that everyone survived and he's behind bars, but that's just not the nature of this. So anyways, that's our story for Jeffrey Franklin from Huntsville. Another Alabama crime. Another Alabama crime. Mm-hmm. So what is in the water in Huntsville? This We've had a few in Huntsville. We had some in Huntsville. That's area. right. Mm-hmm. What are we doing next time? Can we give anything away? Are we telling nope, any secrets? We're, we're not, not going to say anything at all. Nope, we're not telling any secrets. But I want to remind everybody that we are in the month of October. And send me, because I'm the one who loves the ghost stories. I think Katie likes them too. Scott me. doesn't like ghost stories. Do I sound that cynical about ghost stories? Yeah, you do. You no, hate them. I'm sorry. It's okay. No, it's fine. It's great. I love it. All right. So send us your favorite ghost story, true crime, on easystreet at gmail.com, and maybe we will mention it before one of our episodes yeah, here and in listen, listen to us on Google Podcasts, Anchor, uh, Apple, iTunes, and what's the other one? Spotify. I Spotify, my yep. favorite one. I forgot and, it. And uh, give us a five-star rating and yeah. write a review so that we can give you a shout-out. And nothing else. Yep. Come find us on social media too. Uh, if you know if it's if it's still working because it was out the yeah, day Facebook's we were recording. Been out all day today. <laughs> <laughs> um, are we done? I think so. Good night, everybody. <laughs> <laughs>